Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron, and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I'm joined by John. Hello, John. Hello, Aaron. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the franchises Lethal Weapon, Fast and Furious, John Wick, and Die Hard. So, John, looking at these action franchises, what's the first thing that comes to mind? So the first thing that comes to mind is the uh, hero being all beat up, covered in grime and blood of other people that he's killed, (laughs) and then fighting this bad guy at the end and eventually winning. The classic action hero. Yeah. There is a bit of a generational gap between these, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon being slightly old school, John Wick and Fast and Furious being the newer films. As far as stylistically, of course, Fast and Furious is a PG-13. It's not particularly action-driven in the sense of gun violence like these other three series, but it is one of the biggest action franchises of all time. It's huge. And for John Wick, I think part of the appeal was that it sort of emulated or at least reminded us of what those old Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and Steven Seagal type action movies used to be, where it's violence and a good guy shooting a whole bunch of bad guys. It's about a clear and obvious hero stopping clear and obvious bad guys with a huge body count. Schwarzenegger and Commando throwing a grenade, and you see the platforms launching people in the air as if grenades could throw people 12 feet. Or where the good guy has enough time to say a cool line before he stops the bad guy from shooting him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so visceral and not necessarily real. We're never really going for realism in these movies, but it gives you that thrill that these older 80s and early 90s action movies used to have. There's really nothing quite like John Wick now. Most of the John Wick clones that have come out are, to me at least, overly choreographed. They don't have that naturalistic feel. They don't have that that skill. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of movies have looked at John Wick as like, hey, we can do that too. And they missed the mark in a lot of cases. Just one movie I'll mention real quick that I thought did really good with it of cloning John Wick was Kate. Awesome movie. I think what John Wick did was sort of make people want cool again, which is neat because Die Hard and Lethal Weapon are cool. But the problem is, is that for an example like Atomic Blonde, which I think was made by some of the same people in some regard as John Wick, Atomic Blonde comes off as too staged. There's something, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just simply a different choreographer or the skill of Keanu Reeves, but there's something about John Wick that doesn't make it feel completely staged. Yeah, and the other thing about these movies, not quite on the action, but more on the story, is they have a very simple story. It's like... You killed my dog. Yeah, this stuff happens. (laughs) Now I'm going to kill all the bad guys. Everything's laid out. There's no trickery. No bad guy shows up at the end like some mystery. There aren't plot twists. And even these franchises use a bit of shorthand, like Lethal Weapon 1. Danny Glover is getting too old for this, and he's about to retire. (laughs) And that's pretty much it. And it works. And even in that franchise and John Wick, I think one of the things that they do really well is that you see the characters get winded, get tired, get hurt. Maintaining that pain. Some movies forget all about a bullet hole that somebody has in their arm. It's slightly grounded. Again, not realistic. We're not going to say that Die Hard is realistic, but it's grounded. You get a sense of like, this is what would happen if a person went through this. And sure, yeah, I'm sure John McClane would have died. 15 different ways, falling however far he falls in that elevator shaft and catching a ledge, like probably would have torn his arms out of its socket. That, that's fine. We're not arguing about realism, but it gives it a sense of reality of being grounded. Like with Die Hard, one of the most memorable scenes of part one is when he gets the glass in his feet. You get to see him suffer 
And that scene isn't memorable because it's cool. It's memorable because it's hardship. You buy that this realistic-ish character has glass in his feet and it's horrible and you grimace with him and he sells it as if it is not pleasant. Yeah. It's not badassery. When he's tied up in Die Hard 3 and he pulls the wire out of his shoulder every time. Oof. I love Die Hard 3. We'll get to that. Normally, I would read off all the titles that we'll be discussing. I won't go through all of that in its entirety. The films on the list are Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, 4, Die Hard 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Fast and Furious 1 through 9, We're Skipping Hobbs and Shaw, and John Wick 1, 2, and 3. There are more elaborate titles in there. There's Fast and Furious's with thes and without thes and with twos and with Tokyo Drifts, and there are John Wick chapter sequels. It's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about them as we get to them. Bringing up once again something that comes up in these shows, whether or not sequels can stand alone. I think that for these four franchises, story-wise, the John Wick sequels I don't think could stand on their own. I think Die Hard and Lethal Weapon are standalone enough. Each sequel isn't really a continuation of the previous film's story. But for John Wick, I really don't think two or three make any sense without part one. Uh, I think two is the weakest. I'm not the biggest fan of two. Three is amazing. But I don't think that we can pick two or three without also picking part one. It would not make sense for anyone to go into John Wick 2 without seeing part one. It is almost one long story. I would agree. As much as I like John Wick 2, I can't really pick anything in particular that stood out in that movie to me from the rest. I did like Common. Common and the uh, mute hitman or hitwoman who does sign language. Yeah, you know what? Common was very cool in that. Well, and the neat thing with Common, too, and it's part of that whole franchise, is how these killers all respect each other. Yeah. They talk to each other like, hey, John, we're going to have to fight now. And even when John Wick wins, he doesn't kill him. He gives him a chance. Yeah. Like, hey, don't pull out that knife. There's respect there, which is kind of neat. Yeah. The uh, society that they live in. The secret world of the killers. Yeah. The sequels do a really good job expanding upon this hidden world. A lot of times in sequels, they keep adding these layers that don't really make sense. Kind of like with Paranormal Activity or Saw, the plot of the first films weren't meant to stretch across seven more films. Even with the franchises we're talking about today, Fast 9, or F9, the Fast Saga, introduces a brother that never existed. And so there's things like that, but John Wick doesn't do that. The progression of the expanded world makes sense as you learn about the gold coins and the oaths and the bloody thumbprints and where John came from with that Russian Academy, it actually makes sense. It actually makes sense each thing that they introduce. Yeah, and I also like in John Wick how everything fits. You mentioned Saw. There's a point in Saw where nothing fits. It's like, this would be impossible for this guy to do in the amount of time that he had left. Yeah, he dies in part three, but he's still the villain for like three more movies. I'm going to have to cross off John Wick 2 and 3 again because they just don't make sense without part one. And granted, I could choose John Wick 1, 2, and 3 as my three. I'm not. I'm absolutely hanging on to part one for now. For part three, I do want to say I love the villains in it. Part three is a vast improvement over part two. And part two is not bad. It's not a bad film. It's just not as neat. But three adds Halle Berry and the dogs, which gives it a great, great sequence in the middle of the film. I like the two hitmen. 
I like how Mark Dacascos from Iron Chef America is this fanboy who is trying to kill John Wick. But the moment they have a bit of a breather on the couches in the hotel, he just starts talking about how he's a big fan and he really wanted to meet John Wick. That's great. I love that. I like that so much. Yeah. And I just love how uh, one of my favorite scenes is when they have him captured, he's all beat up and he's just so pissed off at him. He's yelling at him right as they wrap a bag around his head to choke him. You kind of believe that, like he's not going to be all stoic and get himself out of trouble right away. You know, he's pissed off. Mm -hmm. He's he's full of rage. I just love those little things that they did in part one and throughout all the movies. But I, I have to agree, part two and part three, I feel like you would be totally lost going into them. Mm -hmm. I like part one and I feel like it kind of impacted movies as a whole to some degree, a pretty good degree at this point. The only complaint really at all for part three is at the very end when John Wick falls off the building, it looks super fake. And they could have just, they could have cut from him hitting an awning to a railing to the garbage can. But instead they tried to do one shot where a CG John Wick falls off the building. So aside from that though, I love three. Three is great. It just doesn't make sense without two and two doesn't make sense without one. So you're hanging on to part one for now? Yeah. I love the music in part one. It has a great soundtrack. Real slick. You have this weird, soft, electronic song while he's murdering just a whole ton of people. Yeah. And, and I like the little nuances where like he talks to the cop and the cop's like, hey, John. Hey. You working again? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Or like right before he goes to the club, there's a bodyguard outside that yeah, he apparently knows and likes. Yeah, I was going to say that same thing. Yeah. You beat me to it. And he puts a gun to him. He's like, hey, maybe you should take the night off. He's like, oh, thanks, John. And he just like takes out his earpiece and walks away. There is something to say about the action in that movie because when John Wick came out, we hadn't had a true blue, like, action, action movie. Man, it was a big breath of fresh air. Yeah, it was, it was a jolt. And it reminded me of what I had missed in all these movies that we're talking about right now. Just that whole formula of action movie. I was like, man, I miss it so much. Part of the problem is that society changes and cinema changes. Like, if you watch any decade of film, it represents where we are currently as a culture. Yeah. And we have sort of pulled away from hard, bloody violence. Like every year, of course, just like with horror, there are still action movies, but the classic action hero had gone away. Cinematically, we have less nudity. We have less bloody violence. We have less gun violence than we did 10 years ago. And then that had less than we did 20 years ago. Look at the gun violence in the 80s. Look at the nudity in the 80s. And so we changed. Society changes, culture changes, and then the movies change with it. We hadn't had a good action movie come out in a while. We had a plenty of straight video action movies like Mark Dacascos from John Wick 3. He had an action movie called Drive that was straight to video in the 90s. That was pretty good. And we have a lot of straight video movies that are pretty terrible, but nothing had come out in cinemas like John Wick in quite a while. It's kind of refreshing to see movies be movies instead of... <laughs> that is the most ridiculous and yet accurate statement. Yeah. I just want movies to be movies. I don't want them to whittle themselves down or homogenize themselves to be liked mm -hmm. by a lot of people or yeah. acceptable. I want them to be free to do what they want. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole with this, but really what it comes down to in part is violence and gore on television versus the rating system in movies. And so we have PG, PG-13, R. Most movies currently are PG-13. If you look at box office, only, I think, eight R-rated movies have ever made more than $250 million in the United States versus before COVID, we had like 20 PG-13 movies a year that made that much money or more. R-rated movies historically have not made money. And so as years have gone by, 
more and more movies have existed in that sort of PG-13 bubble because in a general sense, R-rated movies don't make that much. Every once in a while, we'll have a Deadpool or a Passion of the Christ. But outside of that, it's not common. In the 80s, you would have huge hits like Porky's or Tootsie or Beverly Hills Cop. It seems weird now that that was rated R. And also too, it made like $240 I think. And it was the highest grossing R-rated film for 15 years, something crazy like that. So most studios aim for PG-13. It takes a little bit of nerve for a studio to drop $50 million on a movie like John Wick. And if you look at television with Breaking Bad and Walking Dead, they can get away with so much more on those shows than you can in a PG-13 movie. I love the Lethal Weapon series. I respect it. But for some reason, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of eyeballing those four and thinking about crossing all four of them off. Die Hard has broken my heart more. There are five movies and I've only really liked two of them. The four Lethal Weapon movies are better than the three bad Die Hard sequels. (laughs) But Die Hard 1 and 3, not to jump around, sorry, but Die Hard 1 and 3 are great. Die Hard with a Vengeance was one of my top three picks for the Sam Jackson episode. Die Hard 1 is a classic and we'll get to that in a second. But Die Hard 2, 4, and 5 are pretty terrible. Let's start with Lethal Weapon. Let's simplify. I'm sorry. I know I threw a lot of parts this and that out here. I'm just thinking about where this is going to go and what I would rather save. And so looking at the two franchises, just Die Hard and Lethal Weapon against each other, of those nine movies, the three I would save are Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and Lethal Weapon. Now, that's not my final three, of course. That's just between those two. Yeah, you know, I I would agree with you on that. Lethal Weapon, I'm going to hang on to because... There's some serious classic stuff going on, like the distraught hero, the wanting to retire hero with the family. Well, hang on, before you get too far, talk about that specifically, because both of those angles are dropped after part one. Yeah, you're right. Lethal Weapon basically invented the buddy cop formula. There may be a movie that predates it, but Lethal Weapon perfected the buddy cop formula that has persisted all the way to this day. In the first film, Mel Gibson is suicidal, and Danny Glover is like 11 days from retirement. Because in the first movie, he's supposed to be 50. Yeah, and so like Lethal Weapon refers to the character of Riggs being a lethal weapon because he's very well trained, but he's also suicidal because he lost his wife. He's kind Mm -hmm. of in the down and outs. So all he does is do his cop job and he's dangerous. Yeah, he doesn't care what happens to him. And so he does crazy stuff. Like I remember a scene with Christmas trees. I think he shoots three guys in that one scene. Yeah, that's one of the introductory scenes, and he does like a, a Three Stooges sort of yeah, thing. And yeah, then he pulls ends a up gun out. A couple yeah. of them. Um, I really don't want to complain about the first Lethal Weapon because it's a classic. Except I have to because that's what the show does. We have to nitpick. I don't like the villains. I think Gary Busey is a lot of fun in general but I don't care for the villains in the first Lethal Weapon. I can't even remember who the main villain is because it's some business type guy. The thing I like about the Gary Busey character, which apparently you don't, is... uh, Well, I like him as an actor. I just don't care about the villains in the film. I mean the character, Yeah. yeah. He is like the same as Riggs, except he's bad. It goes down to the fight I love, which is a fight in the mud at the end where they're just both fighting. Well, they're on Murtaugh's lawn. Yeah, and Murtaugh's even like, no, let him fight. Yeah, well, here, this this just shows you how much of an 80s movie this is. The main bad guy and the main good guy cop are fighting to the death, like a fist fight, on the lawn of another cop's home. And all the other policemen just let them fight. They just stand there and let it happen. They're just watching. Yeah, they're just watching. It's, they it's had him like, caught, dead yeah. to rights, and cuffed and everything. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the end of Die Hard 1 when they walk away all happy, you know, with the blanket over them with him, with his, with his wife, and the credits roll. And I'm just thinking, 
there's so much paperwork. <laughs> and they just walk away in the sunset. Everything's fine. All no, these people just he's going to have to killed. be deposed probably. <laughs> Maybe arrested. Who knows? I just love that. It's down to that fight. I do want to pair Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 together and then 3 and 4 together because they are quite a bit different from each other. Lethal Weapon mm-hmm. 3 and 4 are comedies to the point where I would almost even say goofy, kind of in the way how when you watch Nightmare on Elm Street 1 versus Freddy's Dead, going from serious to quippy. Lethal Weapon 3 and 4 kind of remind me of that movie we saw in theaters. We saw part 3 in theaters right before COVID. Bad Boys. They very much remind me of like almost like a prequel to Bad Boys where one's about to retire, the other one's Mm. in his prime, but they're basically buddies. It's the buddy cop formula. Yeah. Yeah, where they're opposites, but they complement each other. Yeah, it's kind of like Bad Boys takes that baton and Mm kind of keeps going with it. Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, the whole point of the title is that Riggs is a lethal weapon. In part 2, it's almost like he's not, but then his girlfriend gets killed and he becomes lethal weapon again. They don't say it directly, but part 2, it's sort of implied that by having this relationship with Murtaugh, Riggs has a reason to live. You see their friendship, and then once his girlfriend is killed, you see him just click. You just see his brain switch back to that lethal weapon and he does not care and he was going to die at the end of part two he was originally going to die and the studio wisely changed their minds yeah i would say that i like part two better i think part two is a a tighter film the action is better i like the characters more in part two and two to me is exactly what the lethal weapon series is if i were to think about it as a whole or describe it to someone lethal weapon two is pretty much what i'm thinking about do you think lethal weapon two can stand alone. You know what? That's the one where all the other police officers get Yeah, are killed. getting all killed. Are They're all getting killed off. Yeah. Man, man, that's and, and tough. The, and the toilet, the bomb under the toilet. Yeah. I think two can stand alone and they're not completely different to where you need to see Riggs being suicidal. You understand where he is as a character in part two. Going into the Lethal Weapon conversation, I was thinking Lethal Weapon 1 was going to be like the big one to keep. I think you turned my mind on that. I think part two is... What I'm going to do is I'm going to hang on to part two for now. Reluctantly, I'm going to let part one go. But uh, I agree. Uh, the bad guy's killing all the police. Riggs pulls a house down a mountain. A real house, too. Yeah. That's one of the great things, too, about these older action movies. When you see destruction, it's real. Sometimes it's models. But in Lethal Weapon 3, when they blow up an office building, it's a real office building that they demolished. In part two, when he rolls a house down a hill, they really rolled a house down a hill. It's awesome. You can accomplish a lot with CG, but when you see a real explosion, when you see something tangible, it's cool. It's really neat. You just can't beat it. Part four, though, is one of the fastest studio productions that I'm aware of. Part four was written, shot, and released in like five months. They filmed it in January, and I believe it came out in May of 1998. Part four had my favorite villain of all four movies Mm -hmm. because Jet Li is just frightening in that movie. And that was the movie that brought him to the States. Yeah. He did not do an American movie before that. And when they put his name in the trailer, a lot of people reacted with, his name is Jet? It's so strange to think about how outside of fans of, you know, Fist of Fury or Fist of Legend or Once Upon a Time in China, no one really knew who he was yet. One of the first things I think of is him flying off the stairs, doing some kind of flip move where he grabs a gun off the ground and ends up holding Riggs and Murtaugh at gunpoint. Yeah. There's a reason he became famous after that, at least in the United States. I mean, he was already famous overseas, but that is the movie that gave him to America. 
and he yeah. became a star. He only had two lines in the whole movie. And I believe that was the first time he ever played a bad guy. I don't hate four. It has a brisk, weird sort of feeling. You can tell that they essentially shot the first draft. Like they just shot whatever they had and they yeah. threw it out in theaters because they had to get it done. Yeah, I really like four. I did feel like they could have cut about 20 minutes out of the beginning when they're just dealing with the family stuff. Well, and there's a whole sequence at the end after everything has been resolved. There's a Home Alone slash nine months kind of sequence where they're scrambling around a hospital trying to get married before the baby is born. Yeah. And, and you just wonder, isn't this over? Yeah. But it has a great sequence where the car does the ramp onto the freeway and all four tires pop when it hits the ground. Yeah. Which the, you never see in movies. That car chase was great. Yeah. And the fight in the moving mobile home. And it was practical. All the action in it was great, but. It's goofy. It doesn't it, make any sense. Leave the, the Weapon 4 is a Without comedy. the other movies. 4, I think does rely on the other films more. I think three sort of exists in this weird early 90s bubble where everything just was kind of ugly. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that. Yeah, but... I mean, I still like three, except three does this weird choppy slow motion thing that I hate. It was a stylistic choice. It's not visually pretty. I don't dislike three. Three is fun. Three is just as much fun as four, but those two exist quite a bit separately in tone from one and two. Yeah. Despite what I said earlier, I'm actually going to go ahead and hang on to Lethal Weapon 2 for now. Because in my mind, now that I'm thinking about it and how much I like that movie, I don't know if I would keep Die Hard with a Vengeance over Lethal Weapon 2. So I'm going to cross off Lethal Weapon 1, 3, and 4 and hang on to 2 at least for now. I kind of feel like Lethal Weapon 2 had a big impact on movies. It just stands out in my mind as like a big deal. 2 is really, really good. I'm going to scratch Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 3, and Lethal Weapon 4. I'm going to hang on to 2 for now. Die Hard, we'll start with the latter two. Oh five. Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. 5 is a genuinely bad movie. They tried to course correct because Live Free or Die Hard, which is part 4, or overseas is known as Die Hard 4.0, was PG-13. And so a lot of people were upset by that because the action wasn't die hard like and he couldn't even say his iconic line with the f word and so they tried to course correct with part five so they made part five r but part five is just a bombastic overly animated confusing movie i don't like five at all five is bad i will actually defend part four a little bit i don't think it's a die hard movie in tone or character but it is a fun dumb pg-13 action movie John McClane sliding off of a jet and an overpass blowing up and launching a cop car into a helicopter. It's ridiculous. It's way more ridiculous than the other three movies. But if you can watch it and pretend that the other movies didn't happen, then it's actually pretty okay. And for that reason, I do think Live Free or Die Hard could actually stand on its own just because it's really not even a Die Hard movie. Yeah, but with that, you have to question, does it matter? It does not matter. I'm still crossing it off. I'm just saying it's not terrible. A lot of people give it crap, but part five is bad. Part five yeah. is, is... Part five was terrible. I don't know why they brought Jai Courtney into it. Live Free or Die Hard, some people liked. I didn't like any of it, really. Like, some of the action was okay. It's I, not a Die Hard movie. I didn't like... Yeah, I didn't like anything about it at all. We just like part five so much, we didn't even say the actual title. The actual title is A Good Day to Die Hard. This is one of the troubles I have with the show is that I would love to be more critical. I would love to be more specific in analyzing why Die Hard 5 is bad, but I don't want to get overly negative talking about a movie I don't like. It's an ugly movie. It's all grays and browns. It's not grounded 
like we mentioned some of these yeah, other Bruce movies Willis are. is like too old to do some of the action in the movie. The character motivations don't make sense because they're helping this one scientist who turns out to be a bad guy and it just doesn't make sense. And even though they did establish that John McClane has a, a son and daughter, four movies later, suddenly his son is a CIA agent in Russia. <laughs> uh, it, why? Why? It, yeah, it, it's not a good movie. The only things I can remember are just really stupid. Like, <laughs> it was just, oh man, who cares? Let's talk about one, two, and three. Keeping the negative streak going, let's just go ahead Die and say Hard two. Die Hard 2 is not great. I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to say Die Hard 2 is necessarily bad. It's an unpleasant movie. It was extremely mediocre after an extremely good movie. I'll say it right now, part one is one of my all-time favorite movies. It is absolutely one of my three surviving films. I'm circling Die Hard Part 1 right now. So there you go. It's definitely going to make it. I think it's a brilliant, nearly perfect movie. It is the quintessential action movie. There's a reason why every other action movie that came out for the next 15 years was referred to as Die Hard on a blank, Die Hard on a boat, on a bus, on a train. There's a reason that that phrase caught on because Die Hard was that influential. It is nearly perfect. I have a problem because I'm going to hang on to Die Hard 3 as well. I talked about Die Hard with a Vengeance in the Sam Jackson episode, as mentioned. I think it's great, especially giving John McClane a partner in the form of Sam Jackson's Zeus. And they play off of each other really well. They have great chemistry. One of the things I love with Part 3, <laughs> it's funny, we're talking about Part 3 and like we had started talking about Part 2 and now we're just back <laughs> to Part 3. We'll get back to Part 2, I'm sorry. My only complaint with 3 really is the ending. I don't like the way he takes out the final villain where the villain thinks that they've succeeded and he shoots the power line that brings down the helicopter. Dude, they should have dropped him off a building somehow. Have you seen the original ending? It's on YouTube. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, so Jeremy Irons, the villain, he plays Simon. He escapes to Russia and John McClane tracks him down and fires a bazooka into Jeremy Irons' chest at point blank range. It's not good. I can see why they reshot the ending where he's in the helicopter and he does the power line trick, but that's in itself isn't very satisfying, except for when Sam Jackson says, nah, let him cook. <laughs> that was pretty fun. But I like three. I like three a lot. I am hesitating now. I was certain before, but now I'm looking at Lethal Weapon 2 versus Die Hard 3. Come on, man. But just looking at Die Hard with a Vengeance versus Lethal Weapon 2, I would cross off Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's close. It's neck and neck. It's 49.9% versus 50.1%. But I'm crossing off Die Hard with a Vengeance, and I am 100% Surviving 3, Keeping Die Hard 1. The franchise we haven't discussed then is Fast and Furious, and I have used Fast and Furious as an example on many episodes of the show. To me, it represents a great example of when it comes to enjoying film, a lot of movies have a core concept that you have to accept in order to enjoy the film. If you can't get past the reality of Tony Stark building a machine in a cave, you're not going to like Iron Man. If you sit back and say, oh, that's not real, or that's stupid. Or, yeah, when he lands in never the sand work. and hits 20 Gs, his brain would be mush. Yeah, when he wipes out and he lives, or you know, or that there's a guy with a, a lightning hammer in space. There yeah. are certain <laughs> things that you have to just kind of accept. So with Fast and Furious, the example being the physics. People bring up the physics all the time, how it's unrealistic. There's a scene in one of the movies where there's a big plane taking off. It's a C5 galaxy, which has like millions of pounds of thrust. And cars take it down. In real life, the cars would just get ripped off the plane and go flying, and the plane would take off like normal. But yeah. in the movie, the cars do it. Well, that goes back to the physics, though. With each one of the films, it builds upon the unreality. And this kind of actually ties into the continuity, too, because whether or not the sequels stand alone, which is definitely a concern when there's nine movies, 
the franchise itself doesn't particularly care about continuity. And that's one of the other things you kind of have to accept. So an example being the ludicrous character Taj. In part two, he arranges street races in Miami. And by parts five or six, he's the second best hacker in the world. Or how Tyrese in part two is this strong, super cool, mean, tough guy. And then by parts five and six, he's a clown who's afraid of everything. Each film slowly builds upon the unreality and that this is how the characters change over time. What your kids do with little toy cars is real in this. And if you can't accept it, then you'll never like the series. And there's some people who think the series is really dumb. And I see the look on John's face, so I think I, 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 I might know where he's going with this. But if you can accept that, then I think they're great fun. And I'm going to defend this series very strongly. John, what do you think about Fast and Furious? All right. So when the movie first came out, I was like, awesome, race car movie. Didn't like the first one. I liked the character Dom. They kind of moved along to uh, Tokyo Drift. Hated that movie so much. I love Tokyo Drift. Ah, okay. Part three, part four. And then like around part five, I started to like it again. Well, that's the rest of the world, actually. And we'll talk about that. But five is where the turning point was. Yeah. And I didn't like it a lot, but it was kind of like, all right, I could watch this. For me, I love the series. I do. I think they get better with each one up until part seven. But for you, John... Is there even a risk or consideration of you keeping any of the series? Going through all the movies, I honestly can't think of one that sticks out to me as a keeper. The one that stuck out to me the most was the one where they were in Cuba, and then some of, a lot of the car chases I liked. But they, they hit a point, I remember, and I want to say it was seven, they had the submarine. That was part eight. Eight, okay. Yeah. So that one I thought was kind of dumb. I'll break them down very briefly since there are nine of them. I won't get into too much detail except for the ones that I love. I hate saying it that way. That's stupid. (laughs) Um, The last two, I think, are the weakest of the series, part eight and part nine. With each one, as I said, I thought the series was getting better and better up until those. Eight is the one with the submarine, like you said. It was directed by F. Gary Gray, who has done really good work. He directed straight out of Compton. But part eight, I think, is the most boring of the bunch. And part eight continues a trend that I didn't like with the series where the villains either don't get killed off and or become good guys. They don't kill off Jason Statham and then he becomes a good guy. They don't kill off his brother and then he becomes a good guy. And then John Cena, they don't kill off and then he becomes a good guy. Part eight overall is kind of slow, I guess. And in part eight, they tried to add another guy to the mix. I think it was Scott Eastwood who played him. They were trying to create a replacement for Paul Walker. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work at all. It does not work at all. I did like in part eight how Dom is kind of the bad guy. They set up to where it's the team versus Dom. And of course, he's being betrayed and blackmailed and he has to do it. It's still cool to watch him race against them and betray them. I liked Dom versus his team. Part nine is more exciting. There is a great scene in part nine where they're racing across a minefield and they have to go a certain speed. They calculate that if they go 80 miles per hour, they'll get past the blast radius of the mines as they go off. Mm. Driving across the minefield is really cool. And it looks mostly practical, just blowing up a bunch of dirt as cars drive by, which is nice. Like, it's tangible. You can see dirt clods. You can see the explosions. In the earlier movies, like in part five, when the safe is like bashing all those cop cars off the road. Oh, I love that sequence. They're bashing cars. And in part nine, they keep using animation. When a car tumbles... You don't need it to be a CG car. Just tumble a car. They've done it for 40 years, 50 years. It didn't need to be CG. I will never get excited by a cartoon car tumbling. And I understand that there are certain things that can't be real. So like when the car jumps across the buildings in part seven in Abu Dhabi, 
I accept that that's fake because in my mind, I know that they can't really do that. Yeah. But if you're just tumbling a car on a dirt road, just tumble a car. Yeah. Like that's, that's the whole gimmick of the series. It's like the director was like, oh, I forgot to put that tumbling car. Just CGI. Yeah. I do like the actors they cast to play the younger versions of the main cast in the flashbacks. Dom and his brother when they were much, much younger. And some of the stunts are just over the top in the right way, even though they do fall back on animation. Nine is an improvement. I am crossing off eight and nine. I didn't say it directly, but part eight is actually called The Fate of the Furious. F8, fate, get it? Ha ha ha. And part nine is F9, The Fast Saga. I like how each title is is like its own new creation. That's kind of fun. I am going to cross off part six. Part six is the one where Letty has amnesia and they introduce Jason Statham's brother. Part six has that plane sequence that John hates. I think it's a cool sequence. That sequence is awesome. So what's the movie that you think impacted movies in general? Oh, okay. I'll jump to that. that Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about six. I'll just cross it off real quick. Hang on. All right. Part six was actually called Fast and Furious Six. Part one was The Fast and The Furious. Part two was Too Fast, Too Furious. Part three was The Fast and The Furious Tokyo Drift. Four was just Fast and Furious. No thes. Five was Fast Five. Six was Fast and Furious Six. And seven was Furious Seven. And I think Furious Seven is the movie that changed how films are made. Furious Seven is incredible. I know it's a little dumb. Most people say that five is the best. And I'll go ahead and say it. Five and seven are the best. I'm going to cross off one, two, three, four, and six. Four, which was just Fast and Furious. That was the reboot where they brought everyone back. Four is kind of boring. Three, I actually like, but I know it's the outlier. It's the Tokyo Drift one that people don't love it. Too Fast, Too Furious was hated, and it actually killed the franchise. That's why they did the Tokyo Drift movie that was sort of its own little thing, because even though it made a bunch of money, people didn't like part two. It actually holds up pretty well. I think two is better than part one, and part one is the classic street racing movie. It's not high art. Not a lot happens. It's very strange to watch one of the later sequels and then go back to part one. Part one is so basic compared to the rest of the series. I don't think two is bad. I don't think one is bad. And I quite like Tokyo Drift a lot. I'm crossing all those off of this franchise that only leaves five and seven. Five is the movie that most people say is the best. And that's the one, again, with the safe, you know, where they're driving through like Rio and knocking all those cop cars off the road. Yeah. They took the car formula and turned it into a heist movie that was where everyone was sort of aware that this is now a heist franchise and as just an action movie five is great five is really where the franchise deliberately took a turn because they knew that they couldn't just be about cars anymore and it's good Hmm. but the one that changed the way movies are made is part seven and that was because of paul walker's death there's a term i use feat of production furious seven is a feat of production because they finished the movie without him Paul Walker had died, and they went back and they used body doubles, they used his brothers, they used animation to replace his face. And it's more obvious now, but it was almost seamless when it came out. For example, there are whole sequences, like the entire, the entire end sequence where Paul Walker is in a foot chase with one of the bad guys was not Paul Walker. The entirety of it. And it's incredible. So did he die during the filming? They were on a break from filming over Thanksgiving, and he was just driving with a friend, and they crashed and died. But they took a long break and they took a year in post. I can watch that movie just from the point of view of wanting to study film. Even if you don't like Fast and Furious movies, as a feat of production, it's incredible. Knowing what they had to accomplish with the footage that they had and what they had to recreate and the way they had to change the script, it's incredible that they made the movie they did. I love Furious 7 so much. I can give them a little credit with that, but yeah, I'm going to cross them all off. 
it's cool how they came up with a way to finish the movie without Paul Walker. But it was such a grand endeavor for part seven. There's so much of that movie where it wasn't him. And you can watch it now and probably not be able to guess three quarters of the scenes. Yeah, it is good. The only scene that he actually kind of looked fake in was the scene at the end when he drives off. I am crossing off part five. And it's weird how I'm keeping a movie, you know, seven deep into a franchise when it comes to continuity. But again, it's Fast and Furious. You can go into part seven and it doesn't really matter what happened before. I think if you go into it with this one, it's unique because if you go into it not seeing the previous ones, you're probably better off not knowing that Ludacris didn't know how to do any of the things he does in this movie previously. Right. And again, as we said, too, going from one to six, one to seven... They're almost not even the same characters anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think you can go into seven easily without having seen the others because it just doesn't matter. I will agree that part five is probably the best. If we were to put a label as far as what is the best, probably five. I think five is the closest to being a, you know, quote unquote, real movie. Yeah. And thinking about part one, that really seems to have like nothing to do with any of the other movies yeah. whatsoever and part two has almost nothing to do with anything yeah. other than introducing a couple of characters that we meet three movies later my excuse or justification i suppose for keeping part seven is it's a film you can study you can watch that movie and learn about how films are made now you do have to have some awareness of what happened and what they went through because you could easily watch that movie with no idea yeah for me though it's amazing every single time in a previous episode, we kept The Last Airbender, even though it's awful, but it's a movie you can watch and you can learn from. And that one is you can learn what not to do. Furious 7, you can legitimately learn from as well. So I am keeping Furious 7 as one of my three. It's making it to the end. All right. So now I have Die Hard, Die Hard 3, Lethal Weapon 2, and John Wick. I have Die Hard 1, Furious 7, Lethal Weapon 2, and John Wick. So you have to eliminate one. I have to eliminate one. What are you doing, John? Oh man, this is tough. So I'm I'm keeping Lethal Weapon 2. I'm keeping John Wick. Okay, so but, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on. Are you saying that you might eliminate Die Hard 1? Like there's even a, a, a discussion to be had? The thing is, Die Hard 3, and I'm kind of torn on that one. I, I mean, I'm I'm almost angry to the point of, it reminds me when Tara cut Chicken Run, and I'm still mad. If you're keeping Lethal Weapon 2 and John Wick, then it just leaves you with the two Die Hard movies to choose from. I don't know that you should keep Die Hard 3 over part one, man. Like, Die I know, Hard that's 1 is my, awesome. That's my dilemma. Is I, th I feel like they're both really good, really important. Well, let me ask you this. I know we have to nitpick on the show, and it does kind of suck to be negative, but can you name one bad thing about Die Hard 1? One thing that you wish they would have done differently or that you want to fast forward through? Because Die Hard 3, honestly, I would have the same problem. I don't, I don't know what yeah, I would I know, change. Yeah, I know. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I can't think of anything from either movie that I would cut. If you, you know look, what? No, no, no. Hang on. If you look at it as like a one-to-one -one ratio, I think the villain is better in one than in three. I think the music is better in one than in three. So I think the villain is better in three than one, but... Ha better than Hans Gruber? No! Dude, that guy is awesome. Here's what I'm thinking is the helicopter thing was kind of weak. It was. So I'm going to have to scratch Die Hard 3 and keep Die Hard 1. All right. I am torn between Lethal Weapon 2 or John Wick. John Wick is awesome. It's so good. It's so good. I've rewatched that who knows how many times. I'm thinking about 10 years from now, 12 years from now, whatever, if John Wick will still hold up because it's already been 33 years since Lethal Weapon 2 and it still holds up. Yeah. 
Oh, man. That's a tough one. To be honest, I came into this recording completely expecting to keep John Wick. I didn't even consider cutting it. And at the start, I said, I'm cutting all the Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah. And as we talked about it, it's like, oh, man, Lethal Weapon 2 is really good. <laughs> yeah. Most people probably scream at me to keep John Wick over Furious 7. But, oh, man, this is terrible. I hate to say it. I am cutting John Wick. I hate to do it. I love John Wick. It's so good. I'm not complaining about it. I'm not going to say anything bad about John Wick. But one of these movies, Lethal Weapon 2, has had time to prove itself. It's held up. And John Wick, maybe in 5, 10 years, I might feel differently. Who knows? But it's new enough to where I can question whether or not it's the one to save. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's it. That's my only reason. So, John, what are your three? All right. So, my three are Die Hard, Lethal Weapon 2, and John Wick. As for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Die Hard, Lethal Weapon 2, and Furious 7. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen. It helps us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by John. Thank you for listening.